0: Welcome to Better Friendships, a podcast all about creating, growing, and maintaining
1: friendships that sustain, fulfill, and enrich our lives. We're your hosts, Julie. And Katie. And today we're going to talk about women's friendships during our lifetimes.
0: Yes. And more specifically, today we're going to talk about women's friendships in the years that we've been here to experience them from about 1986 to the present. It's a long time and a lot happened in that 35 to 36 year window. So we're just going to jump right in.
1: I feel like we've kind of been building up to this episode because it's exciting to take what we've learned over this series and apply it to what we've actually experienced. So to set the scene, the late 1900s, never mind, oh God, that makes me feel so old. Um, during the 1980s and 1990s, We see the rise of the working mother and the two earner household. We also see a significant rise in the influence of pop culture with girl groups, boy bands, movies with sponsorship deals for big products, products like McDonald's and Coke.
0: Yeah, we've seen our personal lives really intertwined with consumer culture, especially now with the rise of social media and influencers and also during this time period is the era of reality TV where the lives of glamorous people are put on display in ways that they've never really been before.
1: And yeah, gosh, that's, that's a lot. Um, There's a lot here. So let's dig into friendships specifically. So we thought
0: we'd break this episode down into kind of the good, the bad, and the ugly.
1: And I think a great place to start is with the spice girls. I was so obsessed with the Spice Girls. I used to do these karaoke contests when I was growing up. And one of my friends and I would always do a Spice Girls song together. We never won, but we'd always do a Spice Girls song together. And it was always Wannabe, actually. It wasn't just one of their, like, random songs. It was just always that one song. I mean, it's a good song.
0: I agree. So the Spice Girls, especially in Wannabe, advocate for girl power and friendship between women. And the idea that women should embrace their own power and get the job done themselves. And also that women should value their
1: friendships with each other above anything else. Their first album came out in 1996. But the idea of girl power goes back earlier in the 1990s to the riot girl movement which came from a more angry place. So this was a punk movement that bristled at the idea of women being seen through the male gaze, which is something that we've talked about before. The goal was to establish a place where women could exist in music, free from that gaze and without the sexism that came along with it. So
0: Riot Girls, bands like the Keeny Kill and Bratmobile, were painted in sort of a negative light. They sang about issues that weren't really being talked about in the mainstream at the time, like racism and sexual harassment. And they kind of became depicted as these stock characters of angry women. And I'd like to also add that the men that participated in this same um, conversation were not treated the same way. For example, Kurt Cobain. Kurt Cobain uh, was actually very feminist and... The song um, Smells Like Teen Spirit actually came from a time that Kurt Cobain was hanging out with some of the musicians who were in some of these Riot Girl um, groups. But his lyrics, speaking out against um, sexism and in favor of women's empowerment, were not seen as as angry as these same things being sung by women. And I think that's really an interesting distinction that was happening there.
1: It is, I'd never thought about it like that before. We look at him as a genius still. And really, I mean, he was musically so, so gifted. And we've learned that one of the things that society seems to agree on is that anger isn't an appropriate feminine emotion. Like, men can be angry, but women can't be angry. That's not appropriate. It's not womanly.
0: I think that's really true. Um, to take it back to the Spice Girls, I think you could could argue that the Spice Girls took kind of that message um, that the Riot Girl music started, that women have a right to be seen, they have a right to be angry, and they have a right to embrace their power. And it was kind of the Spice Girls who brought it into a more
1: mainstream
0: and marketable environment.
1: Yeah, um, I think that in particular is a discussion for perhaps a musical podcast. We could talk about doing one of those one day. But um, at the end of the day, I think one of the best things to come out of the 1990s is the idea that girls and women can be powerful and that girls and women can and should value each other. I think we still see that play out today with artists like
0: Taylor Swift, who makes music for women and surrounds herself with girlfriends. And we'll talk a little bit more um,
1: specifically about Taylor Swift later. Yeah, but you're right. I know that the Spice Girls and that message, it was such a huge influence on me. And we also see powerful friendships between women in movies during this time as well. I'm thinking specifically of Selma and Louise, who were doing Ride or Die before The Fast and the Furious was even a glimmer of an idea in Hollywood. And also one of my very favorite movies of all time, Now and Then.
0: Yeah, I love Now and Then.
1: I think we've actually talked about it before, um, which tells you how much we like Now and Then. but for the purposes of this discussion, I particularly like that movie because it shows that friendship is powerful enough that you can come back to each other, even if you've had a period where you've grown apart. Definitely.
0: I think the other thing that makes Now and Then um, so meaningful, and, and the reason that you know you and I have talked about it before on this podcast, is there's not a lot of coming-of-age tales about girls being friends you know the boys they have the sandlot they have um you know even little rascals it has a couple of girls but it's mostly boys um stand by me um what's that one where he's like a pitcher for the angels and but he's a kid because he broke his arm i don't know whatever that was (laughs) angels in the outfield duh that's what it was It was a cute movie, but again, it's about a boy coming of age. Now and Then is kind of one of the only girl coming of age movies. So digest that, but more about Now and Then. What I think really speaks to me about the movie is that the friendships are depicted both when the girls are young in 1970s, and then when they're grown up and they've grown apart in 1995. But they come back together because one of them is about to have a baby. And they rediscover the magic of their connection. And it's it's just a beautiful movie about a group of girlfriends that are not sisters.
1: It is. It, it really, really is. I love that it shows that going in different directions doesn't mean you can't be friends. Like only one of them is about to have a baby, but they're all there together and they all lead very different lives. But they're still friends. And also it, it shows that there's joy in finding each other again. I think a lot of people feel uncomfortable and a little bit of shame. And we talked about that in our first episode when we talked about our own friendship, when they grow apart and then come back together. Yeah. And they really, you know, in that movie, it's just all, I mean, they talk about how different they are and how their lives have kind of moved away from each other, but There's joy in their finding each other again in that movie. And I actually think that everything we've just talked about, especially the idea of of coming-of-age movies for girls, I think it's a good segue into the bad. Um, And I think here that we can start with a look at mean girls. Ooh,
0: yes. But first, can we talk about one more good example? Which still ties into Mean Girls and again I know we've talked about them before but Tina Fey and Amy Poehler.
1: Oh definitely absolutely can't have this conversation without including them. I think they really sort of encapsulate what we've been talking about with girl power and really leaning into friendships with other women.
0: I agree they always talk about how they encourage each other professionally how they make make each other bold In both of their memoirs, they talk about just how much being friends with each other has allowed them to grow and succeed and really carve out a space for women in the comedic world, which has typically been really dominated by men and by male-centric humor. But I think that kind of brings us back around a little bit to Mean Girls, which is a Tina Fey project. The movie is based on a book called Queen Bees and Wannabes by Rosalind Wiseman and explores the dynamics of friendship between young women.
1: I've never actually read the book. And I want to state that because I'm going to share what I think is probably a controversial opinion. I think Mean Girls is a funny movie, but I don't like it I see what Tina Fey is trying to do. I think she's trying to make the point that clicks and mean girls and everything that we associate with the bad parts of adolescent, fr- adolescent friendships between girls, that it doesn't have to be that way. But I think the movie actually just really plays into those stereotypes, the stereotypes that girls are catty and can't be friends, that they'll betray each other and that they'll hurt each other. And I think it does it to get laughs. And it makes me sort of angry and don't even get me started on the depiction of, of Karen who gets to be stupid, because as we know, girls can't be pretty and smart. (laughs) It just- It's too much. Yeah, it just, it, it makes me kind of angry. And I know that that's a bit of a rant, but you know, especially looking at the comparison between a movie like Mean Girls and a movie like Now and Then, which also depicts adolescent friendships as sometimes confusing and complicated, but depicts them positively. There's just no doubt in my mind that Mean Girls does more harm than good in the way that it depicts girls being friends. Girls should be allowed to learn how to be friends and to interact with the world. And learning is messy. And sometimes people do hurt each other. People hurt each other as adults because learning is messy and life is messy. Anyway, okay. I really, I'm done now. I promise. I really am done now. No,
0: you're fine. I mean, I know I've gone on rants on this podcast that I have blatantly said that I will not apologize for. And I'm actually going to go on a slight tangent here um, if you'll indulge me. It kind of comes from something you said about how girls should be allowed to learn how to be friends and how to interact with the world and that learning is messy. So when I was teaching, um, I taught seventh grade. So really right in the heart of that kind of learning how to develop friends, how to look for friends, how to know what you want in a friend. And I had these two students, there were two girls, and they were best friends. And on more than one occasion during my prep period, for those of you who don't know what that is, your prep period is the one period, the one, one period a day, you get one, if you're lucky, and you didn't sell your prep or you're not forced to cover somebody else's class. So the one period a day, the one fifty minutes in your work day, you don't have students. You can grade papers. You can lesson plan. You can pee whenever you want. It's a glorious time for teachers, this prep period. Unless you get called to a meeting and then it's awful. But anyway, I digress. So on more than one occasion, one or both of these students would be sent to me during my prep period, my one 50 minute window with no students to actually get things done. They would be sent to me because they had gotten into a fight or were in a disagreement or one of them was crying because of something that happened in their friendship dynamic. And the teachers would email me and say, I just can't deal with this, it's so much drama. And you know, I was never mad at the student, who were in my room crying and telling me that so-and-so was just a bitch. You know, and I would tell her, hey, we can't use that word in school, but I get what you're saying. I'm sorry you're experiencing that. Honestly, it was the teachers that drove me nuts. They're in middle school. This happens. They're not being dramatic. They just don't know how to deal with this yet. We have to teach them. They have to learn it and it's going to be messy. Because making friends, creating relationships with people is a messy life experience no matter what your age is. But these two girls were shamed by teachers for having this messy relationship. And it just drove me up a wall that people who are supposed to be specializing in working with these children couldn't understand that this is a natural part of development and it's going to happen and we just need to help them help guide them through it and i will say there were plenty of boys in the school that i taught at that were getting into fights they were throwing blows at each other this stuff was happening. And those boys, yeah, sure, they would get in trouble. But they weren't shamed for it. How they handled their interpersonal relationships wasn't shamed the way it was for the girls. And I, I think that kind of brings us back a little bit to Mean Girls and the term Mean Girls. And kind of where my issues lie with the film. Um, and for me, it's that that term mean girls has become such a ubiquitous term in our culture. We know exactly what someone's talking about when they say someone's a mean girl. But I think it's really detrimental when we repeat that you're mean, your friends are mean, girls are mean, then they become that because you've already defined them without giving them a chance to define themselves. So that's what they grow into because they've been told already that this is who you are. You are mean. Because you are a girl, you are mean. And other people, other girls are going to be mean to you because they're girls and for no other reason. And I think for me, that's where a lot of my issues with mean girls lie. It's just that it's become so pervasive that this is how we label people. And we see the same kind of negative depictions in other popular media, like Gossip Girls and the show Girls. Women just treat each other really, really badly. And it's played up for drama and ratings. And I know Blake Lively has actually gone on record saying she didn't appreciate how the characters treated each other in Gossip Girl. And that how they behaved isn't how friends should behave. As an adult, she has expressed regret for participating in that role. And said that she's not thrilled with those characters. So we're kind of in this era of girl feuds. And I think a lot of it kind of comes back to mean girls and just this constant labeling of girls as mean and their friends as mean. And you should expect that from your friendships. Um, And, you know, to, to move along a little bit, we've talked about Taylor Swift a little bit earlier and I think it's really interesting how the media has latched onto her feud with other women like Katy Perry or Debbie Lovato. And it just keeps repeating this message of the mean girl. You can't be friends with other women because women are mean. Girls are mean and they're going to be mean
1: to their friends. That's and one. No, you're fine. That's actually a good one to talk about too. Um, especially, you know, there are a couple of different ways to look at it on the one hand Taylor Swift surrounds herself with other women like she's famous for having girlfriends and for hanging out with them and for the amount of time that they spend together. And of course, people talk about that negatively, too. They're cliquish. They're they're mean girls. And I think it's interesting that both Taylor Swift and Katy Perry have these amazing careers, too, and they're incredible performers and musicians. But both of them just get constantly asked about this disagreement that's like over a decade old, I think. Like it's been, we've been talking about it for a really long time, but, but, but it still keeps getting brought up. And I guess it's because it makes for easy clicks on news sites. And then, you know, on top of that, we also see women sniping at each other and getting involved in drama on a lot of reality TV shows. And those are super popular these days, like Real Housewives and Keeping Up with the Kardashians. And that stuff is depicted as real, even though a lot of it is actually scripted. This is how women are being taught to relate to each other and to interact with each other.
0: It also makes me think about how we depict moms in movie. I'm a mother, as I've stated before, and I'm really happy to be a mother, and I'm proud of being a mother. But moms aren't often looked at nicely in TV and movies. So in the movie Bad Moms, for example. They're all a mess, even when they're trying to be perfect. And in the 90s, especially, working moms were always shown as absent and kind of out of touch with their families, while stay-at-home moms weren't really shown as having any kind of life or personality outside of their family or outside of being a mother.
1: I watched recently, I don't know how this escaped me when I was actually of the age that this movie is meant for, but because it came out on Netflix, I recently watched the movie Beethoven, you know, the one about like the the St. Bernard and it's super cute and and the family gets this awesome dog.
0: Yes, my sister actually has a St. Bernard
1: and it always makes me think of that movie. Yeah, so I I never watched it when I was a kid, but because it came out on, on Netflix, I was like, well, I'll put this on, why not? And I was really shocked at the depiction of both parents. So the dad is just like, he's so mean. Like nobody's that unhappy all the time and nobody hates dogs that much, right? But I was really, really surprised with the portrayal of the mom. I guess surprised is the wrong word, like unhappy, maybe unhappy with the portrayal of the mom because while she's depicted as really nice, like she's so nice. That's all she is, is, like, a nice mom. That's all she gets to be, is, like, the nurturer and the one who, like, controls the angry father and makes sure the kids are happy. So I'm not a mom. But I can see how damaging that is, depictions like that. When we watch those movies and those TV shows, when we see those women, we don't want to be them. Nobody wants to not have a life outside of one aspect of... of who they are, or what they do. We don't want to be that kind of mess. We don't want to be that out of touch. And we definitely don't want to be friends with those women. Who wants to be friends with Christina Applegate's character in Bad Moms, right? Like it just sets up a culture where we can't relate to each other because that's what we're seeing all the time. That's how we're being told to view each other and interact with each other. And I think the
0: worst part of that is it's not necessarily real, but people treat it like it is, or they think that it is. Um, so an, an example from, from my life, um, an opening came up in the PTO, like the, the organizational level of, of the PTO, um, where my kids go to school. And I was hemming and hawing, do I want to do this? Yes or no. And I had people say to me, like I, you know, I kind of pulled my friends and I said, what do you think? Should I do this? And I had people say to me, oh God, no, absolutely not. Why would you ever want to do that? Why would you ever want to associate with those kinds of people? And I was, I was kind of taken aback. But it was a general consensus from from several different people that like, oh gosh, you'd never want to join a PTO because the people that join PTOs are just terrible people. But what I, I ended up, I did join the PTO because I'm not good at listening to people. I don't, I don't, I don't know why I ask for people's opinions because I just do what I'm going to do anyway. Oh, sorry to all my friends who I asked. Um, but. You know, I ended up joining the PTO and what I have found is a group of women who have very similar values to, to me. They're all women who care very much about their children's education, that want to be involved in, you know, their children's lives and, and in their learning process. They want to support the school and the teachers that are helping their students or their children. And they want to also show their children the importance of being involved in a community of some kind. Those are the real women that I have met in the PTO. But the other group of people that I've met in the PTO is more people who think that that depiction that that TV PTO mom is real. And we have gotten as as the the PTO board, we have gotten some very nasty messages from people. Basically because they assume we are that Christina Applegate character. So they think that they can treat us poorly because we must be bad people because we're We're, we're these PTO moms. And for me, I think that's kind of why we felt we needed to talk about, especially this particular aspect and and the thing with the mean girls is that when we constantly show a group of people as being a certain way, people treat them like in real life like they are that way. And I think that's really detrimental because we're not separating the reality of these are humans with, this is a depiction for clicks or likes or views on some kind of media, whether it's TV or whether it's a movie or whatever it is there's a difference between the reality and how it's how it's shown and we're losing sight of that i will say that there has been a little bit of drama within the pgo i don't want to make it sound like it's all sunshine and roses and we're all just like i don't know making the school the best place that any school has ever been you know there has been some drama but it's not just from women It's from men too, but, and it's because, you know, we're a whole group of different people with different visions and, and different ways of seeing the world, the world. But I think largely because PTOs tend to be a lot of women, it gets trivialized um, because women's ideas and concerns often do get trivialized. And I think I think this is part of it, this, this constant depiction of women and girls as mean or uppity or, you know, whatever it happens to be. I think that leads to this trivialization.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. I, again, I, I feel like I've said it so many times this episode, but it's like what we see in the media, what we read about in news stories, we buy into that. And it's so much of it is just stereotype. And it's played up for laughs and clicks and sound bites, but it's not the reality of the situation. And, And something you said kind of harkens back to the idea that learning is messy, right? When you get a group of people together who care very deeply about something, it might get a little messy because everyone cares very deeply. Caring makes you passionate. I just, it, it kills me, right? Because it's, we, it, it doesn't have to be this way, right? Like we, we don't have to depict a bunch of passionate people who care very deeply about their kids' education as a bunch of mean girls. It's just stereotype. It's not the reality of the situation. And
0: you know, that has a long history too. Tropes and stereotypes that aren't real, but that take on a life of their own and become something that people think is real. We've talked about that before with the not-like-other-girls girl, and we still see that today. In movies like Gone Girl and in Mean Girls too. Katie Heron isn't like the other girls.
1: And, you know, there's one trope in particular. It's, it's kind of linked to the not-like-other-girls girl in a way. And I think we've seen way too much of it in movies in the last 20 years, maybe even 30 years, maybe even longer than that. And that's the manic pixie dream girl. She's a cool girl. She likes indie music and colorful hair and artwork and tea and old movies. And we know that. But we never really learn anything about her because we only see her as the male protagonist sees her. She doesn't have family. She doesn't have friends. All we know about her is that the guy thinks she's cool and that in the end she saves him from his boring life or his messed up life or his whatever life. Kirsten Dunst's character in Elizabeth Town is a really good example. I don't even remember her character's name. We only see her as Orlando Bloom's character sees her. She doesn't have friends and she doesn't get any story of her own. We don't know how she feels about her life beyond her interactions with him. And while we're on that topic, have you ever heard of the Bechdel test?
0: Yes, I have. So for those of you that have not, what it is, is it's a test for um, looking at women in fiction. And it asks a few things. Does this work feature at least two women? Do these women talk to each other? And do they talk to each other about something other than a man?
1: Exactly. Exactly. And sometimes it includes the question of whether or not they both have names. And it's surprising, or maybe it's not so surprising, the amount of movies that don't pass the Bechdel test.
0: It's almost like to be a cool girl in a movie, you can't actually be a whole person. And again, this also plays out in real life when we try to slot women into types. Like, do you like pumpkin spice lattes and felt hats? Well, then you're a basic bitch. And cool girls can't be friends with basic bitches. Cool girls have to laugh at basic bitches. Oh, that's just so damaging. It is. And going along with that, there's just a problem of putting down things that women are into. Who cares if someone likes pumpkin spice? Nutmeg and cinnamon are delicious. My husband likes them. Thank you very much. And he is not a basic bitch. The idea that women can't be friends with each other isn't new. We've established in this series that it isn't new and that the roots of it go back farther than anyone likes to think about. But it's like now there's a new layer to it. There's this competition and this separation. And even though those elements have always been there,
1: we're seeing them play out in new ways. Yeah, I think social media has really played a part in that. And I don't think social media is bad as a rule. I think it's really opened up the world in so many ways. I can talk to my friend in England now in real time. I can find people to share ideas with. I'm a writer with a blog and social media is a big part of how I market myself. But there's a dark side there too. Certainly. People can live in bubbles
0: now in a way that they've never been able to before. Algorithms show you more of what you want to see. And it's so easy to just not be exposed to other viewpoints. And so at the end of the day, it's easy to see yourself as
1: separate from other women and different from them. And fundamentally not compatible with them. Especially when social media has a way of making people wanna be glamorous, particularly as it relates to mom. It's like the expectation is perfection. And if you don't meet it, you're just a terrible person. I
0: definitely see that. I don't know if you've ever heard this, but I've heard people in my circle refer to other women as Pinterest moms or that Pinterest kind of mom because they decided that too much effort was spent on a birthday party or maybe they want to keep up with those moms and feel like they can't compete. But I mean, that's just there's just so much mom shaming, which is absolutely ludicrous because every kid is different. Every kid's a different human who sees the world in a different way. Just this idea that there's this one-size-fits-all motherhood, it's so limiting and it's so isolating. And honestly, it's kind of scary to have people judging you all the time because you're not doing something the way that they would do it, even though your world is totally different from theirs. And there's also not a lot of individuality in parenting, and that's detrimental to women I think when we strip parenting of individuality, we do a great disservice to all women.
1: So my question is this, given everything that we've talked about today and certainly what you've just shared, where does all of this leave us? Where, like, where do we go from here?
0: You know, I think we just spent a lot of time, you know, talking about the bad and the ugly, it's important to remember there's a lot of good too. We're seeing women in places and in large numbers in those places like we've never seen before. There are more women in politics
1: than ever. Yes. So, the squad here in the US, um, I love those brave, strong women standing up for what they believe in. I don't necessarily agree with them on everything. And I know that they court a lot of controversy, but still women belong in government because women are part of society.
0: There are also more women on the Supreme Court in the U.S. than ever before.
1: Yeah, and we're also seeing women directing movies and winning Oscars for it. Um, We're seeing female recording artists, again, Taylor Swift, standing up to big music labels and taking ownership of their own work.
0: And we're also seeing a push for more representation and for more positivity and for more women coming together. I don't want to spend too much time on it, but I do want to talk about the Me Too movement because so much of it is centered on the idea of women believing and supporting other women. That's such a good point. You know, we're, we're seeing women stand up for each other and believe in each other and make it clear that it's not okay to be treated as an object. And
1: I think it's just amazing. I hope that we continue to see more of it. I think we have resources now that can help. Again, social media can be a really powerful tool to bring people together. Women's voices matter. And I think we've hit another time in history where women are making themselves heard. This has happened before. Women have been pushing to have a voice, to have more representation,
0: to be seen for a long, long time. And I think before we end the episode, one thing that I want to at least mention is that we've been talking about women in a large part as kind of having one monolithic experience. But that's not an accurate representation either. We haven't really addressed that women of color have a much different experience than Katie and I have had. We have similar experiences in our backgrounds, but women of color women in different economic situations also, they've had a much different experience in having their voices heard. And one of the things that we should be doing as women is honoring the voices of those people. I I believe I've said this before, but I think it's really important to reiterate that one of the criticisms that has been constant, that we've heard from second wave fem- feminism, we've heard about third wave feminism, is that it didn't give space for all of the voices. And giving that space is an important step moving forward. So we can make sure that all women get to experience the benefit of this society we're creating where women's voices are more readily listened to.
1: Well said. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay, so in our next episode, we will recap this history series and then tie everything together by examining again why we need better friendships and why they're so important, particularly by looking at loneliness. So we have an episode on loneliness coming up. In the meantime, remember you can email us at info at That's I-N-F-O at betterfriendships.com. You can find us on Instagram at better_friendships and on Facebook at better friendships. We'd love to hear from you. And until then, remember,
0: there are tall ships and small ships. There are ships that sail to sea. But the best ships are friendships. And may they always be.